Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage Podcast with Greg Gregory. Join us as Greg interviews powerful thought leaders and successful team and leadership experts from across the country on teamwork, leadership, and organizational culture. Now let's check in for this week's episode. Welcome back once again to the Teamwork Advantage. I am your host, Greg Gregory, and where this is a podcast where we focus in on the specifics of teamwork, leadership, and culture. Now, just make sure we're all aware that this is not just a podcast for business. This is a podcast that actually helps you in every aspect of your life, whether you're raising kids, running a family, volunteer organizations, civic associations, it doesn't matter. What we talk about here can be worked all the way across the board. And today we're fortunate to have with us a guest uh, from Indiana, uh, retired United States Marine. And I just wanted to chat a little bit and tell, uh, with his name, Jay Hodge, and I want to tell you a little bit about him. Uh, he's the president of a lean management consulting firm today. Jay utilizes an extensive network of independent experts in a wide array of fields. He possesses over 30 years of demonstrated operational leadership. And again, he started by serving in the United States Marine Corps. His career emphasis has always been on lean processing, and that's key, as well as manufacturing and operations. He grew professionally from a frontline supervisor to the executive level, as well as a vice president with organizations like Ford Motor Company, General Motors, Toyota, and Caterpillar. He's a published author of the book, The Lean Treasure Chest, and the creator of the Dynamic Elemental Engagement System on Employees. First off, Jay, I want to thank you for your service in the United States Marine Corps, and welcome to the Teamwork Advantage. Thank you, Greg. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for what you do. Well, thank you. We're having a lot of fun on the podcast over the weeks. We've interviewed a lot of different folks. I've had several different people from the military on here. And you started off in the Marine Corps. How old were you when you went to the Marines? I was 20 years old. 20 years old. Wow. And that, they teach you a lot there, especially in basic training, right? <laughs> yeah, they, they teach you that you're not what you think you are, and then they build you back up into something that they want you to be, basically. Exactly. And some people like to refer to it as brainwashing, and I quite frankly disagree with that concept. I think it's just getting you to think, uh, think in a much better uh, mindset. Um, tell me a little bit. Do you know uh, – you did your basic training. I think you said uh, earlier it said in San Diego. Yes, I did. Okay. Yes, I did. And um, – do you remember the name of your primary drill instructor? I do. Staff Sergeant Ramos. He was five foot six, one inch taller than I was. Five foot six, Staff Sergeant Ramos. Now, um, yes. keeping in mind this is a family podcast, <laughs> what were your impressions of Staff Sergeant Ramos on the third day of your basic training? We were terrified of him. Absolutely terrified because he was the he used to, he came up with the saying, and I, I still use it on my kids to this day, you don't want to wake the dragon. And he was the dragon. So he, uh, the other three drill instructors, you know, they would do terrible, terrible things, but he, he had the power to walk in and stop it, or he had the power to walk in and make it five times worse. So it was one of those love-hate relationships. We loved to see him until we saw a specific look on his face, and then we were not happy to see him. Right. So now that's on the third day. And by the way, I take the third day because that's about the first day you're allowed to sleep, if I'm not mistaken. Am I right? Yeah. 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 They put you through a little sleep deprivation the first couple of days. Absolutely. So what did you think of Staff Sergeant Ramos 
at your graduation? Oh, we loved him. Absolutely loved him. He was, you know, it was one of those things that he was brutal to us, but after, you know, you get through boot camp, you realize that they were, he was that way because he actually did care about you and he wanted you to survive your tours. He mm-hmm. wanted you to, uh, to grow, to be a sergeant, staff sergeant, gunny sergeant. He was doing it for a reason, kind of like a parent. So absolutely. I was going to go there just like a parent would do. And that's, mm-hmm. that's really, really key when we start to think about it, because in leadership, you know, you've got the autocratic leader and you've got the participative and the free reign leader. And I always use the example of a drill sergeant being that autocratic leader right up front. Mm-hmm. And they have to modify and work with you throughout things. And they have to build that level of trust. And um, I've asked that exact question of thousands of military professionals from all branches of the service. And they almost all say the same thing. I had one Marine one time say um, on the third day, he wanted to shoot the beep, beep, beep. And uh, then at the uh, end of it, he said he actually stood up in our presentation and table tapped his heart. And he said, mano a mano, brother to brother. I would take a bullet for Staff Sergeant Vesquez today, sir. And it's been over 25 years. And that's, that, that's, that's strength when you've got that. So great leaders build that in you, and you remember their names. How long ago were you in basic training? I went in in 1988. I actually, I didn't, I didn't retire. Uh, I, I got out in 93, so I was actually in for five years plus three okay. reserves. So. Okay. All right. Well, and, and again, you still remember his name, and that's, that's so powerful, and it's not necessarily you remember because it was a bad thing. You just remember because it was, be, it was worked into you, and you, you developed that relationship. Absolutely. It was someone you wanted to emulate as a young Marine. Mm-hmm. Now, as you got out of the service, okay, as you left the United States Marine Corps, you got into business. Tell mm-hmm. me about that experience. How did that happen? Well, it actually didn't, didn't happen the way I expected, to, um, expected it to. When I got out of the Marines, I became a deputy in Wyoming. And I realized, you know, I had a wife and two kids at that point that that wasn't my passion. Um, and so we decided to, uh, I would finish my degree. So my wife and I and two kids went back to school for three and a half years, living in a 576 square foot apartment, um, for three and a half years. That was a, that was an experience right there with the dog. Um, and then after that, I got, um, an offer from Ford finance and that's when my business career started. So, um, a little mm-hmm. transition, I thought I'd be a deputy or a police officer for the rest of my life, but. Now, was that your training in the Marine Corps? Uh, you know, I think the fact that uh, when you're a Marine, um, it's a logical step to go into law enforcement simply because you have the training. They already know you're in, you're in good enough shape. They already know you have the discipline. They already know you, how to, you know how to right. take orders. So it's a natural progression for a, lot of, for a lot of Marines. But it just wasn't my passion. Right. And that's, that's the key thing. We always tell folks to follow their passion. You do training. I do training. We're all the same aspect that way. So once you got to Ford, you were in finance. What were you doing there, and how did that start to evolve? I worked in Ford Finance Credit, but interesting thing is the financial side, my degree is in accounting. It's kind of weird. You're a Marine, and you go into accounting, and the two really don't match, but that's okay. Um, I, just call that a, side, I just call that a confused individual, which can be good. <laughs> it, it was. And you know what? As it, it, it's weird because as my career has progressed, I, I didn't stay in accounting. I didn't stay in finance because that's not – really what I enjoy doing. I enjoy operations. I enjoy the interaction 
um, you know, whether it be manufacturing, sales. Uh, I enjoy the operations of an organization. And what I've found over the years is that that finance side, the accounting side has played an instrumental part in my success because it allows me not to just understand the operational side of what I do, but it allows me to understand the financial side of the operations. Those two combined, you, if you don't have visibility or understanding of, of both sides of a business, you're only working with half, half, you know, half of your ammunition, I guess you, it's the easiest way to say. Mm -hmm. so. No, and that, that's true. And that's one of the reasons they've uh, said for years that such a high percentage of small businesses fail is because the founder entrepreneur has the passion to do the business, but they don't know the business of the business. And, uh, right, right. And I and work with hospitals. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. And no, I mean, it's just they come in there knowing what they've got, what they want to do and have the passion for, but they don't know how to run the business side. So that, that ends up stumbling a lot of people. When you're coming in with both sides of that equation, it, 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 you're a double threat at that point. Absolutely. Um, I work with a lot of hospitals and, and what I find a lot of times is that some of the, the clinical side, they don't want to talk about the financial side of the business. And so easiest way for me to get around that is, okay, if the financial side of, of what we do isn't important, turn your next paycheck in. And everyone's like, what? Like, so think about this. The reason you get a paycheck is because we have an effective set of operations. Our operations runs in, in a manner that allows us to generate revenue, to pay our bills, to pay you. It allows us to buy new equipment, to build new build new operation centers or, uh, or service lines. It allows us to satisfy our patients which makes them want to come to us versus another hospital. If we don't understand the financial side and focus on that, a lot of what you do and what you see doesn't happen. Doesn't so exist. Are exactly. Critically important. Mm -hmm. um, one of my mentors over the years was Zig Ziglar. And one of the oh, things wow. I remember uh, Zig saying, and I had the privilege to sit down and have dinner with him a couple of times before he ever passed away. But I remember one time Zig using a statement. He says, money may not be the most important thing in the world, but it ranks up there close to oxygen because yes. when you have to have it, there is no substitute. That's exactly right. And I just, I've never forgotten that, that analogy from Zig. Well, so, you know, moving from that into operations. Okay. So you were at Ford, you left Ford and then somehow I know you got over to Toyota and you've got great experience there with their processing system. Cause let's face it, Toyota is Toyota. Right. So, what happened there? How did that all come about? And tell us a little bit about your experiences on that. Well, when I left General Motors, I was actually teaching General Motors um, at the fabricating plant in Indiana. I was actually teaching the Toyota production system. We had labeled it, flavored it to General Motors, but I was teaching lean. I was teaching the Toyota production system um, to General Motors. And I got a call from Toyota and um, no-brainer kind of decision. They wanted me to come work in their Princeton, Indiana plant where they manufactured the, the Sequoia, the Tundra, and the Sienna. And so I jumped at the opportunity. And, you know, it was immediate when I got to Toyota. Um, a lot of companies, and there's a lot of pro people probably listening to this going, boy, this sounds just like our company. They can talk the talk. We want to be lean. We want to be effective in our operations. We want to have employee engagement. We want to stop and solve problems. But when it comes down to it, it's a very hard thing to do, to stop mm -hmm. the line is what I like to say. Yeah. Um, so when I got to Toyota, what I found out very, very quickly is they actually live what they talk. It's not something, you know, written in the Toyota. You know, you can look back here on all my different books, the Toyota Way, the Toyota Handbook, all of my Toyota stuff. 
that's not something that they just have posters on the wall or talk about. Um, it's something that they live every single day and they expect the people that work at Toyota to live this way. I think probably one of the most um, interesting experiences is when I went to Toyota, they gave everybody that started at Toyota a Dave Ramsey packet. He talks about effective money management. You know, the Dave Ramsey. Mm-hmm. Oh, the Dave Ramsey podcast. Yep, absolutely. absolutely. And, and they gave him the whole brochure, the book, the CDs, all that stuff. And, you know, Dave Ramsey talks about never buy a new car. And I'm not opposed to buying a new car, but never buy a new car. Well, guess Just by the way, by the way, I, I have not purchased, and I did not get this from Dave Ramsey, but I have not purchased a new vehicle since 1986. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> But, but, but think about this. You have a, an auto manufacturer giving out thousands and thousands and thousands of, of packets that tell their employees not to buy a new car. And what, what, the reason they do that is because they know if people are financially responsible with the resources that they get, they're a happier employee, they're a more satisfied employee, and they do a better mm-hmm. job. Absolutely. So for Toyota, they look at the big picture that we want our employees happy. Buying a new car does not make you happy, does not make you content, does not make you a, a fulfilled person. Um, so it, 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 it's just, Toyota was very, very, very pinnacle, mm-hmm. kind of a pinnacle point in my career. Good. So let's talk a little bit, because you focus in on that and you focus in a lot on engagement. And in my acronym of Teams Rock, um, the E is about engagement. Why is it so difficult? to keep employees engaged over a long period of time. Okay. This is one of the things, if you look at my dynamic elemental engagement system that I developed, this is something I focus on specifically because when companies look at engagement, they're, in my opinion, they're, they're missing part of the, uh, the story. We talk about um, a passion for the why. Employees, um, to be truly engaged, have to be passionate about what they do. If you were to walk up to an employee at Toyota who's, who's turning the, the wrench, putting a lug nut on the tire, and you're saying, why are you being so particular about how you do that? You're probably going to hear something like, well, because in a couple weeks, three, four weeks, there's going to be a family of five potentially in this vehicle, and I'm doing this for them. That's a passion for the why. He's, they're turning a lug nut, but they understand the impact that they have on the people that are going to be buying that car. There's a passion. There's a reason they come to work every day. It's not just for the paycheck. Um, You also have to have trust and leadership. This is a big one. A lot of organizations um, don't realize that to get true engagement, um, people have to have someone to follow. And people only follow someone that they trust and that they believe in. Someone that's genuine, someone that says what they're going to do, and then they actually do it. Because I'm never going to trust a leader who says this, but does this, but still expects me to do this. I have no reason to trust you. They're not going to follow. They'll do what you say, but they're not going to follow you. Mm -hmm. I had someone tell me years ago, if no one's following you, you're not a leader. I don't care what position you're in. Mm-hmm. Um, it's yeah. like Dwight Eisenhower. Of course, the memorial for Dwight Eisenhower has just recently opened here in Washington, D.C. And uh, Dwight Eisenhower used to put a piece of string on a table about 12 inches long and stretch it out and tell you to put your finger on one end and then push it. And it pushes, it balls up. He says, uh-huh. it doesn't go anywhere. He stretches it back out. He says, now pull it. And you pull that string around and it follows you. The idea of a great leader is to develop followers. And I've asked people countless times over the years, as I'm sure you have as well, 
um, think about the best boss they've ever had. And okay, write down three things as to why. Never is it anything about operational. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. And then I say, I ask the question, I do this blindfolded and I have to close their eyes. And I say, all right, if your best boss were to call you today and say to you, I have a job offer for you, the money's right, the location is right, and the type of work is right. Let's get those out of the way. Would you follow that boss? Every single time the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. You know? Yep. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's, it's all about that. So, and I've got friends who have followed bosses over the years and it's just powerful. So you, you and that all develops because of trust. And then they've got the passion for the why. Okay. I'm sorry. I interrupted you, you. Go ahead. No, no, not at all. Um, because what you're saying is exactly right. You know, leaders, um, the, the best leaders, I think probably anybody listening to this have ever had realizes that one of the reasons that leader was so great is because they saw part of their job as making everybody around them a better leader than they are. Right. I mean, right. So um, the third item is belief in themselves. When people come to work, I've never gone anywhere where people come to work wanting to fail, but I've gone to a lot of places where people, um, they don't have confidence in themselves because, you know, they're not getting the training um, the way that their manager manages. Um, they're not allowed to succeed. Everybody wants to succeed, whether it's in sports, um, business, anything. People come to work to succeed, to make a difference. And after a while, if people are leaving work and they don't believe they're actually making a difference or being successful, they're going to leave. They're going to find somewhere where they can't succeed. Plain and simple. Uh, you look at why people leave organizations. What do they say? The, the vast majority is not because of money. It's because right. they want to go somewhere where they believe they can succeed. And then the fourth thing. Succeed, the feel valued, most, everything. Yeah, yeah Absolutely. Um, the fourth one is where most organizations miss it. It's called confidence in their processes. So I can have a great leader. I can have a passion for the why. I can believe in myself. But if the processes um, that exist within the organization that allow me to, to go from A to my deliverable, my, whether it be healthcare, um, manufacturing, anything, the processes established in an organization aren't effective, they're not going to follow them. They're going to they're going to create workarounds. They're going to they're going to okay. find what best okay. methods to get where they need to go. But the problem with that is that if I, for example, in healthcare, if I've got a process on a patient floor that's defined, this is how it's supposed to. This is how we're supposed to do it. But it doesn't yield the results I want. And I've got twelve nurses in that facility or in that department. I'm going to have twelve nurses finding the best way to get where they need to go to find the best way to get to the results we want, which ultimately means that I have 12 different processes, which means I don't have a standard, which means when I have quality issues, I have no idea how to solve it because my own behavior has driven variation into the process. So if people aren't confident in the processes that are set before them, they're going to not yeah. be successful and they're not going to trust their leadership because the leadership is not doing anything about it. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever studied so the, uh, on that side. Yeah. Now, have you ever studied over um, the uh, subway systems in Tokyo? They have what's no, I have a, not. They have studied uh, developed a system there, and I'm, I'm going to probably botch the title and the way this is done, but it's a point and call system. Okay. So uh, the operators, uh, the platform personnel, they all point and they call it every time to get the process into place. And I have heard of a story where. Uh, on there one day, uh, a young boy, five, six years old, 
got onto a subway train and the mom didn't get on right behind him. The door closed, but her arm was caught in there. And in the point and call system, they caught the th uh, situation, stopped it before anything could happen. And it was wow. all because they had that system in place. Yep, absolutely. So, the, 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 having a process is critical. And again, I think, and I think you're going to agree with this, at least I would think so, is processes are not just in manufacturing, just not in assemblies. It's in every aspect of life. Am I right? Uh, absolutely. I, I, when I do training, um, I ask people, name one thing that's not a process. Just one thing. Mm -hmm. Name one thing that is not a process. You can't because thinking about what isn't a process is a process. Living mm -hmm. is a process. Dying is a process. Walking, breathing, drinking a cup of coffee, this podcast, listening to this podcast, it's a process. And, you know, when, when we look at our processes, if we don't have our processes engineered or designed to deliver quality results, it's not the result or the problem isn't really the problem. The result, the problem is the process. Right. And it, that starts with habits. And we go back to finding and getting our habits very simplified. Of course, Dr. Covey's famous book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Uh, there's a new book out called uh, The Atomic Habits by James Clear. And I just finished listening to that on a, a Audible. And it's just an amazing concept of, of course, you think atomic, you think large and explosive. But he looks at it from atomic as being the atom. All right and starting at a very small and how to build on them with habit stacking and things of that direction, which starts to build your own internal process. Mm -hmm. So you've got the company process, but you've also got to have a personal process too. Absolutely. I mean, okay. if you think about, think about a five, your, your favorite five-star restaurant and then think about McDonald's, you walk into both of them. What's the difference? Well, in McDonald's, you probably, you may or may not get greeted. There may or may not be tables that are clean but you walk into the five-star restaurant and chances are your experience is phenomenal every single time. What's the difference between those two? Well, the difference is the habits and behaviors that are, that are being carried out in those two organizations, mm -hmm. but those are a result of management and leadership's expectations yeah. and the specific standards that they set and validate for the people that work there. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And it's interesting because I believe McDonald's has a lot of that in place behind mm -hmm. the scenes Absolutely. in the processes. For example, you walk into, let me ask you the question here. You walk into a McDonald's. Now, let me ask you this. When was the last time you were inside of a McDonald's restaurant? Believe it or not, I think it was, well, no, that was, no, no, I walked in. You couldn't eat there, but you could order. It was mm -hmm. a couple of weeks ago. Okay. Imagine you're standing at the counter. Okay, and you're ordering through the cashier. Where is the French fry machine? Far left over just around the corner from the door or the uh, drive-thru. Right. Well, depending on where the drive-thru is because they got a couple. But the French fry machine is always, as you're standing at the counter, off to your left. Yep. Always. Every single restaurant. Yep. That's their process. And they've got the McFlurry machine off to your right. They've got everything very structured so that anybody can go in with a system. Yes, that's right. And that's key. Now, now comes the part of management and leadership. Let me ask you, how do you define the difference between being a manager and being a leader? You or is there a difference to you? Absolutely. You manage processes, you lead people. Okay. And that's a lot of the way a lot of folks look at that, and I absolutely agree with that concept. So 
most people get their first leadership job or management job because they've done the job right. Yes. But that doesn't mean they know how to lead the people. No, it does not. Not at all. <laughs> um, I've seen this, you know, manufacturing or healthcare. Healthcare is really bad at this. I was talking with the CEO the other day about this. We take a nurse or someone who's really, really good from a technical perspective. And we think, man, they would be a great, great manager. We promote them to a manager position, but we don't really teach them how to manage people. We teach them how to do budgets. We teach them how to do evaluations, but we don't teach them what it's like to have someone sitting at your desk in front of you saying, um, my marriage is falling apart. I, I, I'm, I'm having personal issues, or I've just realized I'm addicted to, to this. They don't understand. They don't teach you how to take 12 people and lead them in a manner where they can function and work together effectively because you know if leadership would be really easy without people it really would leadership yes. would be much easier if you didn't have people the problem mm -hmm. is that's what leadership is about yes exactly absolutely um it's it's focusing in on the people it's making sure we get there and uh, we've all gone through challenges like that so Real leadership is about people. So the question I want to come up with is, why do many people struggle with understanding what real leadership is all about? You know what? I think the, uh, the best answer for that is because they've never had leaders who truly understood how to lead. If, if, I, if, if I work for you and you're not a great leader, I'm going to learn from your leadership skills or lack thereof. Or lack, either way. That's exactly right. Now, I always tell people that whoever you work for is a mentor. They could just suck. They could just be a bad mentor because mentorship is, is about, um, you know, building up and driving information and driving habits and understanding into a person. A bad mentor is still a mentor, but they're just bad. So the habits that, you know, and, and I see this and I know you see this, you, you have someone even in a vice president level and you look at them and you go, how in the world did they ever get into that position as a leader. And you realize if you if you were to backtrack and follow the people that developed them and they worked for over the years, the people that they didn't have a great leader. I mean, we learn so much from, um, from the example that's set for us. So if the example that's set for us is not a good example, mm -hmm. we take those skills, behaviors, and those bad habits with us all the way through our career. And those are formed just like a child's habits in certain areas are formed in the first two, three, five years. Mm -hmm. Those same types of habits are formed in our work relationships in our beginning days. Yep. And again, I think that goes back. Let's, let's take this full circle back to the Marine Corps. You know, they break you of those habits at basic training, those bad habits, and they reinstill the right habits of how to do things. Is that, is that a really simple analogy? It is. I mean, they, they break you down to build you up so that you can be successful in the role that you're going to be playing. Mm -hmm. let's, let's go to a question here that kind of ties into my passion of teamwork. Sure. What, what is the difference from a good team and an extraordinary kick-butt team? Uh, I think it starts with the leadership of that team. Okay. Um, Setting the expectations, you know, one of the, one of the things that I talk with about leaders is explain to me your expectations for your team. Well, we want to be successful. 
Okay. That, that's, that, that's, a really, that's a really nice answer. No, define what success is. So whether it be through metrics, whether it be through behaviors, but tell me what it actually means to be successful on your team and show me where it's documented. And the reason it's important that it's documented is because if it's documented, that means whether you're my leader or someone else, the, the expectations don't change. And we've all worked for organizations where when the leadership changes, the whole freaking world changes. The expectations, mm -hmm. and, and, that, and that's, that creates chaos. So an effective team starts with an effective leader, but a, an effective team also requires people to be able to work together. Um, mm -hmm. You have to be team players. I, I like to use the analogy if, if I've got um, people in a room, I will ask a person sitting in front of me, give me your perspective, describe this room. And they'll describe the room and I'll say, you know what, I'm going to describe this room and I'm facing 180 degrees from them. And my, my description looks completely different from you. Our perspectives are different, but that doesn't mean our perspectives are wrong. And the reality is that when we combine our perspectives, my perspective and that person's perspective, we have a much better um, vision of what the true reality is because nobody on a team knows everything. And the fact that when you work together and you accept or you work to understand the perspective of others, that leads to a successful team is absolutely critical because you've probably worked with people like this. If you've ever worked with someone who refused to see the world any other way than their way, mm -hmm. they refused to see the world any other way than their way. They were not a team player. People listen to this and go, oh my gosh, yeah, this person and that person. I don't have to know who they were. They were not a team player. Why? Because to be part of an effective team, you have to be willing to understand the perspective of others, plain and simple. Mm -hmm. And I always use the, another analogy that ties with that is you've got to be able to put aside your personal agenda for the benefit of the team. Absolutely. And th those are key, key elements. It is. It's like on a, uh, a football team. Um, you know, I'm working in Kansas City right now. They've got the Super Bowl champions. And name the, uh, name the center on the Chiefs. Oh, I know. I can't. You can't. You can't. Name the quarterback, though. Oh, yeah, Mahomes, right? The interesting thing is we put all this – when it comes to a team, we put all this uh, focus on the quarterback because he's, he's awesome, right? But if that center who gets paid a microscopic amount compared to Mahomes, a lot of other people on that team, if that center doesn't do their job, he gets sacked every single time. So when you're talking about a team – and, and, you know, I talk with physicians, a bunch of clinical people in the same room. I look at a physician, I say, without this technician or without this person that's drawing the blood, you don't have anything to diagnose. Uh, without the nurse who's, who's escorting them to the x-ray, without the x-ray person, you, we're not providing excellent patient care. Same thing in manufacturing. Mm -hmm. Everybody has a different role in the organization, but if we don't fulfill our, our role passionately, 100%, the entire team fails. Right. And, you know, you go back and one of the great analogies to look at there is the uh, dynasty team of the Chicago Bulls mm, in the 1990s. Mm -hmm. You know, when it came down to push comes to shove, everybody knew Michael Jordan was going to get the ball to take the shot. Yep. And Michael says, uh-uh, give it here. And he got the ball to take the shot, passed it, and they end up winning because he passed the ball because he was a team player. That's exactly right. And that's, that's what we got to recognize is understanding everything about what pulls it together. Now, we've alluded to it, but we haven't hit the word yet, and that is culture. Oh. Okay, when you started talking about the why and all these other things, you've got the culture. And you talked about Toyota, okay, having all these things up on the walls. Um, I had a guest on the podcast uh, several weeks ago, and 
he runs a small IT company, about 50, 60 employees, and they've got their main culture beliefs, and he has actually fired people for violating those cultures. Mm -hmm. Now, culture is critical when we come into it, but it's more critical that we not only know, not just know it, but it has to be believed and lived, like you were talking about with Toyota. Um, Example, I did a uh, program, I mean, we're talking over 20 years ago, 25 years ago, and I put the company's vision statement up on the overhead. I said, anybody recognize this? People are going, yes, that's a quote from somebody, and then... uh, they had no idea it was their own company's missions or vision statement. Right. <laughs> so what's important to you when you're talking to folks, what, what about culture is important? Whether this is at home, by the way, you have your own culture at home and a culture at work and a culture in civic associations, all of that. So what's important about culture? For me, you know, when I look at culture, it's what you believe. It's why you do what you do, understanding it. Um, a culture in a hospital, um, it's all about the patient. I mean, that's, that's the culture. So this is not made up. I had an example the other day where I'm walking through the halls and, and, I, and I'm looking at a leader walking with a, a patient. He had just caught up with the patient. And it was an elderly woman walking to her appointment inside the hospital and her left shoe was untied. And this is not a joke. I watched as this senior leader bent down on his knees in the middle of the hallway, put his books down and and got down and tied this lady's shoe in his suit. That is culture because that's demonstrating culture, demonstrating culture. You know, a a culture is driven by leadership. It's driven by the example that leaders set. Um, I've gone to organizations or hospitals where the CEO and I will grab a pair of gloves, we'll grab a trash bag, and we'll walk around the hospital and pick up trash. Mm -hmm. And everybody in that hospital that's looking out and seeing that that CEO picking up trash It, it, it changes the culture because it, what, it, what it does is it, re, it makes people realize that we are all here for the, a single purpose, right. and that's the patient. Um, I had a leader tell me once, if I become too important to do any of the tasks I ask of my team, I am no longer their leader. Culture is driven by leadership, and culture is it's driven by leadership, but it, the example is set by leadership, but it's lived by the entire organization. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that a nurse will look at another nurse and say, hey, um, that's not the way we're supposed to do it. Um, make sure you do it this way. Or someone leaves some trash somewhere and says, hey, remember to pick up your trash. We create those behaviors. Culture is a, a culmination of the behaviors and the habits that we form in what we do every single day. Yeah, it's a living, breathing thing. Your example in the hospital, I've had that example when I walk through hotels with general managers talking Mm -hmm. about issues and things of the same nature. And um, the very top general managers, they see trash on the floor. They've been down, they pick it up. And that's breathing that culture. Uh, A middle-level general manager, somebody else who's not as strong there, might see it and call somebody to come pick up this. We got a spill here or something like that. It's taking full ownership of everything and getting everybody yep. else to recognize that. It is. It is. Leadership is, it goes back to the fact that leadership isn't about you. No. It's no. not about you. It's about no. your team. It's about the team. It's about everything that comes down that line. If you go back, uh, what year was it? 1985, 86, when the 
Tylenol situation occurred. Okay. Um, every consultant in the world told uh, Johnson and Johnson, all they needed to do was to remove Tylenol from the shelves in the Chicagoland area. And uh, the CEO says, no, we're yanking it off the shelves worldwide. They said that will be devastating to you. He said, it's the right thing to do. And he demonstrated that from a culture state, brought everything back in. And then when they relaunched, that's why we have a lot of the safety caps and things in the stores and on the uh, drugs we have today is a lot because of that. And then Johnson and Johnson came back up because people trusted them. Yep. Because absolutely. when you got trust, you've got everything. So, wow. I can't believe our time has absolutely flown by here. It's amazing on this. Um, you know, it's, uh, I'd love to have you back on here again. Uh, talk some more about engagement, get more in depth with that in the future. Um, I thank you for your time today. I know how valuable time is, and I always appreciate our guests taking time to be with us on the Teamwork Advantage. Join us next week. Thank you, Jay. No, thanks, Jay. Join us next week as we bring out another expert focusing in on teamwork, leadership, and culture. Until then, remember, good days are for average people. You're not average. Go make today an amazing day. Bye-bye. This has been the Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory. To learn more about how Greg can help your organization develop a powerful winning culture, visit teamsrock.com. That's T-E-A-M-S-R-O-C-K.com. Be sure to join Greg next week when he interviews another exciting and powerful thought leader on the Teamwork Advantage. Until then, as Greg says, make sure you have a great week because a good week is just being average.